Welcome to The House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to be here today. As Oliver mentioned, the last time I spoke at the house was a year ago, and um, Chad asked me if I would speak over the Christmas season. And I said, Chad, for 30 years, Christmas has not been normal for me. It's been busy season. Would you just allow me to have one normal Christmas like everybody else does? So, so we found another date, and this is that date. And as Canyon mentioned, I was just getting ready to retire at that time. And so it's been a year. And sometimes people ask me, they say, well, how's retirement? And I say, hmm, retirement. I highly recommend it. It's a good thing, right? So it's nice to be back, and it's nice to be here today. And uh, I must admit, when I saw Canyon, when I saw him uh, leading the, you know, or, or playing bass this morning, of course, he's the worship director, the worship pastor here, if you're new. Uh, when I saw him leading there, I, I, I thought, you know, it made me feel old. And, I, and I'll tell you why it made me feel old. Not because of the music, not because of the style. Or anything. Loved it. Wasn't that awesome worship today? So good. I think our generation, like I'm 61 now, right? So our generation was probably the first generation that liked to feel the music, right? We liked the music loud and that, and it, it was good. So that, that's not why I felt old. I felt old because Canyon's mom and dad were in a youth group that I pastored in the 1980s, right? So that's what makes me feel old. And I think they're here today. Are, are Mark and Carrie here today? There they are, right over there. That middle-aged man who looks like Canyon except is bald, all right? So, so that's what Canyon, that's what you're going to look like, you know, when you're uh, Mark's age. Whatever. Anyway, Mark and Carrie were in, were in our youth group back in the 80s. And uh, so just to see Canyon up there today and just makes us so, so proud. Just want to uh, want to just also applaud you as a church and your pastor's council for giving Chad and Angela the gift of this sabbatical. And uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I know anybody, any other pastor that works harder than Chad. And of course, we many of you know that we've been part of Chad and Angela's life, pastoring together in one way or another, one place or another, for almost 30 years, almost their entire you know ministry. And so just to see the way that they've grown and developed, we're so proud of them. But Chad and Angela work so hard, and, uh, and I know that coming out of this time of sabbatical, they're going to feel refreshed and renewed. We had, uh, we had a sabbatical, three-month sabbatical back in 2015, and I'll tell you what, it, it was just such a wonderful time of renewal and refreshment, and it was good for me, it was good for our church at Evangel, and I know it's going to be good for Chad and Ange, and it's going to be great for you as a church going forward. So, plus... You are in good hands with Oliver and the rest of the team here, so let's just continue to, uh, to do the best we can going forward. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about um, something that we don't often talk about, or at least preach a whole sermon about in church. I want to talk about doubt. Doubt. A lot of times we talk about faith, and we should talk about faith. That's a good thing to talk about, but this morning I want to talk about, about doubt. Because, look, it's an understatement to say that we are living in a time when people are feeling squeezed and stretched and tested. I mean, we've just come through this kind of 
stretching kind of time in our world and in churches, and lots of people are feeling like that. Some of that stretching, some of that squeezing can lead people to a deeper walk and a relationship with God, and that has happened. But I can tell you that hasn't happened for everyone. Some people, it's caused them to question their faith and the strength of their faith. And so people, many people are asking, God, where are you? in the midst of all this turmoil and change that's happening, that's going on in our world. And when people go through a time of crisis or they go through a time of difficulty, it can, it can shake the very foundations of their belief system. And as people feel like their, their belief system is being shaken, it can lead them oftentimes to a place of, of being doubtful or feeling doubtful. So this morning I want to talk about doubt for just a few moments. What is it? Where it takes us? And how can we allow doubt, yeah, how can we allow doubt to lead us to a, a greater place in our intimacy and relationship with God? Now, let me just begin by saying this. If you struggle with some doubts, if you struggle with feeling conflicted, confused, have some anxiety, listen, you're not a bad person, <laughs> right? Because doubt is something that we all face from time to time. In fact, turn to somebody and say, look, you're not a bad person if you have a few doubts. Would you do that? Just right now, you know, you're not a bad person, right? You're just a person. <laughs> because doubt is something that we all, all face. Because doubt is based in uncertainty. And we all go through times of uncertainty. In fact, according to the dictionary, doubt means this. It's a feeling of uncertainty. It means to question the truth or fact about something. Uh, the word doubt originates from the Latin for two, all right, for two. It, when you doubt, you're of two different minds. You're vacillating between two different kind of points of view. In fact, the Greeks, they describe doubt as, as a tearing of the mind. Uh, the, the, the Chinese, they defined or described doubt as a, as a man with his foot in two different boats. <laughs> Picture that. <laughs> Oftentimes it's not going to end up well, is it? So doubt is it's just, just when you're trying to work through something, you're trying to work it out in your mind, you got some questions, and you're not completely certain of what the answer is going to be. Now let me just pause here for a moment and say this. That in the Bible, doubt and unbelief are two different things. Okay? In the Bible... Uh, the Bible would describe unbelief as a sin, but not doubt. And I mention that because a lot of times uh, Christian people, they can sort of feel like doubt and unbelief, uh, they're, they're synonymous. They're, they're not. They're two different things. Doubt can lead to unbelief, but I'm here to tell you today, doubt can also lead to faith. You see, doubt says, I'm unsure of what is right. Unbelief says, I don't care what is right. Doubt is searching for the light. Unbelief is choosing to like gouge out your eyes so you can't see the light. Doubt is pursuing truth wherever it may lead. Unbelief is believing a lie. See the difference between doubt and unbelief? In fact, somebody said this, said doubt exists somewhere between belief and unbelief. Doubt is the moment of tension, which in and of itself is not good or bad. Doubt is essentially neutral. It's what you do with doubt that counts. So just because you have a few doubts doesn't mean you're a bad person because the truth is we all have doubts from time to time. Ultimately, it's what you do with those doubts 
that will determine where you're going to end up in the end. Now, if you want to go to a place in the Bible and look where people are struggling with their doubts, probably the best place to go is the Psalms, all right? The Psalms. The Psalms are filled with people who struggled with doubt, who were conflicted, who didn't have all the answers. And so this morning, I want to take you, in our time together, I want to take you to one of those Psalms, Psalm, 20, or Psalm 73, Psalm 73, all right? So if you've got a Bible there, flip it open. If you've got an you know, iPad or a, you know, a, an app there on your phone, Psalm 73, and we'll have the scriptures up on the screen as well. Walter Brueggemann great Old Testament scholar, an expert on the Psalms. He's written a great little book entitled The Spirituality of the Psalms. Good little book. Not a hard read, not a long read. Great book, The Spirituality of the Psalms. And uh, in his book, uh, he organizes the the, the Psalms around three different categories or three different movements or three different categories here. First, he will say that there are psalms of orientation. Then he'll talk about psalms of disorientation. And then thirdly, psalms of new orientation. Now, there's lots of ways scholars kind of organize the psalms, but this is a good way. Psalms of orientation, disorientation, new orientation. Let's dive deeper into this. Psalms of orientation. What are we talking about? What's Brueggemann talking about? He's talking about those psalms that, they're, they're the psalms that are written during seasons of like celebration and worship, you know. The, 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 where the psalmist who's writing the psalm, who's penning the words, is, is writing about God's goodness. He's writing about God's favor. These are, these are psalms that are marked with you know, wonder and joy and gratitude for who God is and what he's done. It's, it's like the worship songs that we were singing today. That's, that's like psalms of orientation. So an example of one of those psalms would be Psalm 8. One of these psalms of orientation. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. These are psalms that just speak so strongly, so confidently about who God is and what he's done. But then there are other kinds of psalms, many psalms, that he would categorize as psalms of disorientation. So these are, are times in the psalmist's life when, when he's experiencing some sort of unexpected disruption. And what's coming out during those times are feelings of anger or despair, suffering, tragedy. It's a time in the psalmist's life when his faith is being challenged by what he sees and what he experiences. And so when you read those kinds of psalms, which sometimes we avoid, but we shouldn't, <laughs> When we read those kinds of psalms, what, what's coming out are that they're feeling like they're gritty. They're, they're uncensored. They're, they're psalms that are unapologetically honest about how the psalmist is feeling. So Psalm 13 would be a great example of that. How long, O Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have, have sorrow in my heart? That's just like a, just a gut-wrenching song. God, where are you when I need you the most? Or, or how about Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from, from saving me? See, the, these are psalms that are, are written in the lifetime of a person who is wrestling with doubts and fears and everything they believe is being challenged. And maybe some of you 
whether you're watching online or whether you're here or this morning in person, maybe some of you, that's how you're feeling today. Maybe you're wrestling with some doubts, some fears. Maybe you're struggling with some feelings of anxiety or confusion. Listen, let me remind you today, you're not alone. <laughs> and many of the greatest psalms were written during these very times, what Brueggemann calls disorientation. But then there's another category of the psalms, psalms of, of new orientation. And so these are psalms that come on the heels of those times when the psalmist has been feeling doubtful or he's been disoriented and, and, and now somehow he's made his decision to move toward belief rather than unbelief. It's, it's sort of like the, the plant that's kind of rising up through the broken soil and all of a sudden it's a seed and it, it, now it becomes a beautiful, beautiful plant or a flower. It's that, it speaks of that moment of clarity when it's like they were in a fog and they break through the fog and, and once again start to see what God is up to and what's really going on. Well, I chose Psalm 73 today because Psalm 73 is where we actually see all three of these categories come into play. Orientation, disorientation, and then a new orientation. And the psalmist, the one who's writing, his name is Asaph. He's actually a worship leader in the courts of King David. And he begins the psalm with this strong sense of orientation. And so verse 1, look at verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so he starts, where does he start? With this strong affirmation of, of like who God is. He says, he is God and he is good. How many are glad that God is good? He's a good God. And we sing lots of songs about the goodness of God. And we should because it's the goodness of God that helps to orientate us. In, in fact, the goodness of God, I like to say, is, is kind of like the point of a compass. Wherever we go, we should make sure that the compass is pointing in the direction of the goodness of God. In fact, I've often said to people, if you're going to do a study of the character of God or the attributes of God, I think the best place to start is always with the goodness of God. That God is good because that'll lead you into a, into a good place. So that's his orientation. That's where he starts. God is good. However, sometimes, if goodness is like the point of a compass, sometimes we know that life can knock us off the compass. <laughs> It can knock us off that point as tragedy strikes or we experience some kind of crisis in our life and that's when we start to wonder, is God still good? Is he even still good? And so this is what's happening to this psalmist, Asaph. He, he starts to become confused. He starts to become conflicted. He starts to become disoriented. And he's very honest about it here. He's looking at the, the world around him and what's happening in the world. And he's got some questions about God. Verse 3 to 12, he talks about how the, like the wicked are flourishing. There's, there's no justice for the poor and the oppressed. It's, it's like he's saying that like the 1% are getting richer <laughs> and the 99% are getting poorer. <laughs> Verse 3 says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They've got no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. In, in other words, where's the justice in that? 
Where is the justice in that? When I see like the, the oppressed getting more oppressed and the, and the richer and the stronger getting more richer and more powerful. And then in verse 13, he says not only that, but he actually starts to wonder if even all of his good behavior is even paying off. Verse 13, he says, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning just brings new, new punishments. <laughs> I mean, look at... I think for most of us, we would hope that our good acts, that our good character, that our good behavior are going to produce good results. And I think on the whole, they do. But what happens if you're doing all the right things and you're even doing them for all the right reasons and you're still suffering? Don't, don't you think that might create a few moments of doubt in your mind? I think it would. And that's what happens to Asaph here. Because he intellectually intellectually he knows that God is good but at the moment he is not feeling it he's disoriented in fact he puts it this way in verse 2 look at verse 2 verse 2 but as for me my feet had almost slipped I'd almost lost my foothold maybe some of you have felt like that sometimes and, and, and doubt is like that sometimes it's kind of that moment in your life when you felt like everything you were hanging on to was solid, was secure. And then the next thing you know, something happens and it just feels like you're, you're, you're falling through a fog and you're just sort of grasping for air. And this is what this man is going through. He truly believed that God was good, but I'll tell you what, in the moment, everything in his life just was shouting the opposite. And it was tearing him apart. Verse 21, he writes, my, my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. You know, as I think about it, I think that this can happen a lot of times to young people as they're kind of transitioning maybe from high school into college, university, kind of going out into the world, you know, moving toward being a young adult, whatever term you want to put on it. And I'm talking about Christian young people. I'm talking about young people who grew up in the church. And, and they've got a, what they feel is a, is a strong, deep faith, strong, strong sense of direction. But maybe they discover that maybe their faith was rooted more in what their parents believed than even what they believed. And they go out to college. They go out to university. And listen, there's nothing wrong with college or university. Our kids went to college. They went to university. They went to trade school. But sometimes you go out into the adult world, so to speak, and you start to experience the complexities of life. And you start to get knocked around a bit. Maybe they start to listen to some of the arguments of their professors who sound a lot smarter than their parents. <laughs> and what they've always believed is starting to be questioned. And often in moments like this, what doubts can arise. And, and they felt like they were on such solid ground. Now it feels like it's, it's shaky. And they wonder, what do I even believe? That's why, just a little shameless plug for the house. <laughs> That's why I'm so thankful for the house. You know, over the years, the house has been such a great environment. It's been a safe place for young people to come who are in the midst of questioning. They're, they're trying to figure out their faith and ask the deep questions of life. And, and the house has been such a great place where they can come and ask those questions and find some answers. But see, this is what's happening to this psalmist. His faith in God's goodness is being tested and he looks at the reality of what's happening in the world around him. And he feels disoriented. 
Now, fortunately for him, he was one of the fortunate ones that doesn't stay in that place forever. Some people stay in that place, but he doesn't. He's one of the ones who, who, who somehow something happens and he allows himself to be moved from the place of disorientation to the place of new orientation. Something happens as he asks these tough questions, as he presses into God that allows him to come out the other side with a fresh new picture of who God is. So look at verse 21. Again, he's, he's talking about how he's feeling at the time, right? He's, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, I, I didn't know which end was up. But then something shifts for him. Look what he says next in verse 23. Yet, Lord, I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom am I in heaven, or who have I in heaven but you? And earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. <laughs> so here's, here's a guy who's come through the deepest, darkest struggle of his faith. And yet he comes out the other side with a deeper love and appreciation and intimacy with God. And of course, the psalm is written to provide hope, particularly to provide hope for those who are going through a time when it seems like their faith is shaken, when it seems like all they have is doubt. It's written to let us know this, that if we allow God to do his work in us, then he can actually take us from the place of doubt and confusion, the place of testing, the place where we feel like God isn't there, and he can take us to a new place of clarity and intimacy with himself. And that's what happened to this guy. And now there's a couple of things that he did. There's a lot that God did, but there's a couple of things that he did that I think really helped him. And the first is this. He acknowledged his need. He acknowledged his need. In other words, he was, he was brutally honest about his situation. You can't read the verses that we just read in the middle section there and, and not see this guy is honest. He is crying out to God about his doubt and his fears and his confusion. He, he doesn't just sort of pretend like nothing's wrong. He doesn't like sweep it under the carpet. In fact, somebody once said, you know, if you sweep enough stuff under the carpet, eventually you're going to trip over it, right? He doesn't do that, does he? No, 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 no. He's, he writes about it. He's honest about it. He talked about it. And, and I believe that helped him to articulate what he was going through. And ultimately, that was one of the things that helped him to, to move through what he was feeling. And you know what? That's not a bad thing for us to do. You know, when we're going through a difficult time, when we've got some doubts, some confusion, confusion about things, when we're feeling conflicted, talk to somebody about it. Seek out a counselor. Seek out a wise mentor. Write about it. Journal about it. Express your feelings to God and others. I think it can really help us. But then there's another thing that Asaph did that helped him, and it was this, that ultimately he ran into the presence of God. He ran into the presence of God, and that made all the difference. And we see that coming through in verses 16 and 28. So verse 16, again, he's been trying to sort out all the injustice of the world, finding it so oppressive, it's dragging him down. But then he says this, 
He says, but then I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood things more clearly. And then he backs that up in verse 28 by saying, but as for me, it is good to be near to God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. See, there's something that happened to this guy as he pressed into God. And you know what happened? He began to see things more clearly because now he was starting to see life from God's perspective rather than all the perspective of everything that was going on around him. He said, things became clearer for me. When? When I went into the sanctuary. Now, for some of you who are watching online and you may have chosen, you know, coming out of the pandemic, you may have chosen for a variety of reasons not to come back to the place of worship in person. That may be your cue <laughs> to come back. That may be your invitation to come back. When I came into the sanctuary, the literal sanctuary where you're, where you're worshiping with, with other people, you know, and you're praising God and you're hearing God's word in person, that may be your invitation. But for others of us, pressing into God might be just pressing into worship, pressing into him like you've never done before. See, that's when our doubts and our fears and confusion starts to take on a new orientation, when we take our doubts and fears and confusion and run into the presence of God. In May, in May, just a couple of months ago, my wife Wendy and I, we were, we were on a three-week trip through Spain and Portugal, having a wonderful time, wonderful vacation with friends. Two weeks into the trip, we got a call from our son in Calgary. He and his wife were expecting their second child, and uh, she was full term. It was her due date. We were all just waiting to hear for the baby to be born. And so we got the call there in southern Spain. Got the call that little baby had been born, little boy they named Owen James. But there were problems. There were complications. And to make a long story short, uh, our little grandson died after only living for 10 hours. And so, of course, you can imagine, once we got this news, we are just devastated. And immediately, we just we said, no, we can't continue on with this trip. We've got another week. We've got to get back. And so we, we caught a flight back to Calgary to spend time comforting our kids, plan for a little funeral. I'll never forget when we got out, out of the airport, and there was our son waiting for us, and we just embraced each other, and he's just bawling, as you can imagine, just grieving over the loss of his, his little son, just so sad. And So we spent the next week planning for a, a funeral, which we held for our little grandson, Owen James, a funeral which I led, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do, I can tell you that. And yet the presence of God was, was so close, and we're grateful for that. But as, as the week progressed and it was it was quite something in the midst of their grief and pain to watch the way our our kids our son our daughter-in-law were processing all this i mean man they were brutally honest about what they were going through brutally honest and yet as they pressed into god it was it was it was a wonder to behold in fact, at the, at the conclusion of the, of the funeral service, we had a little graveside service. 
out there just near Calgary. And we had planned to have these blue balloons, right? And we gave everybody blue balloons and they were, at the end of the service, they'd release the balloons, you know, and they went up into the sky as a, kind of as a picture of Owen's spirit, you know, ascending to heaven. And, and their kids asked if during that time that, that, that we would play this, this song, which they had been listening to. It's a worship song uh, by Phil Wickham, uh, Worthy of My Song. You know, some of you may have heard that. It's a kind of a newer song and Maybe you sing that here, Worthy of My Song. But it's, it's basically this song about praising God and pressing into God. In fact, the words go like this. It goes, I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. I'm going to worship till I mean every word. Because the way I feel and the fear I'm facing doesn't change who you are or what you deserve. And the song just goes on to, to like speak about just like pressing into God in the most desperate circumstances and, and giving him our praise. Because regardless of how desperate life is, how difficult life is, he is still worthy. And as we stood at the graveside of our grandson, and I looked over as the balloons are ascending to heaven, I looked over at my son and daughter-in-law, and there they are, lifting their hands in praise to God at the most desperate moment, the most difficult moment of their life. And I thought to myself in that moment, they're going to be able to heal. Is it painful? Yes. Is it still? Yes. Is it tough? Absolutely. But they're going to be able to heal because you know why? They're taking their doubts, their fears, their confusion, their pain. And they're taking them and they're placing them in the hands of the one who can help them in their time of need. Folks, there's something about pressing into God's presence at our greatest moment of pain and confusion and difficulty. Pressing into God that can move us. It moves the needle from the place of disorientation to a place of new orientation with God. So let me close by asking a couple of questions here. One in particular. Where are you on your faith journey right now? You know, maybe you're at the place where you are feeling very oriented in your faith, deeply oriented in your faith. You feel like your faith is rock solid. You're on solid ground. I say, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's good. Just continue doing what you're doing. That is, that is so good. But maybe you're a person either here today or watching online and, and you're not feeling very oriented. In fact, you're feeling more disoriented. In fact, maybe you feel like, you know, your, your, your foot is about to slip. Just like Asaph says, my foot almost slipped. Maybe you're wrestling with some deep questions. You don't have all the answers. Oh, can I encourage you today? Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. The end of the story for you has not been told. Keep pressing into Jesus. Take your doubts. Take your questions to him. Wrestle them through with him. In fact, don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. Because it could be that your place of new orientation, that could be right around the corner. could be right around the corner. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? 
Lord, thank you this morning that you are a God who absolutely knows and understands what we're going through. Thank you that, God, you're not put off or put out in any way by our doubts or fears or questions or concerns. In fact, God, you welcome them. <laughs> you too. You're big enough to handle them. You are. But Lord, we admit that there are times when we do struggle in our faith. We, we struggle in the, in the understanding of like what's going on around us. And so Lord, today I, I pray especially for those who are here, those who are watching online, those who are going through a difficult time. I pray especially for those who may not feel your presence as close to them as, as they would certainly like. God, would you come to them in this moment and would you reassure them that you are there? Would you reassure them, oh Lord, that you care? Because God, that's oftentimes all that we need just to know, God, that you're there. Just to know, God, that you, you care. Oh Lord, as we wrestle with the many questions that life is going to throw at us, that is throwing at us, help us, help us as St. Augustine said to to find our rest in you. May our hearts come to that place where we rest in you. Help us to come to a deeper understanding, O oh Lord, of your goodness and your grace in the midst of whatever we're facing so that we can put our faith and trust in you. Lord, thank you that one of the things that we can always do is to praise and worship you. In fact, as some of the songs speak, praise is like a weapon. It's a weapon that we can use against the enemy. It's a weapon that we can use against our anxieties and fears. It's, it's a tool that you've given us. And so, Lord, even this morning as we sing this final song, may we lift our praise and worship to you because you are worthy of it no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. And help our spirits soar to you, God, in this place, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Let's stand, everybody.